Amen. Hey, once again, we're in our study, World Religions, Colts and the uh, Coal with this exciting faith marker. Give it up for the faith marker tonight. That's right. Faith marker, faith marker, backup plan. I have no backup plan. I need a marker. But anyway, if anybody wants to be a Christian, find me a marker while I'm stalling for time. That's right. That would be great. Uh, but at least I made it on the first pew. Hey, but that's right. If you go ahead and you turn into your workbook there, we are in the topic of number 10. That's right. Seventh-day Adventist. Seventh-day Adventist and uh, is who we are talking about. Now, by way of recap, we've already seen a review of about cults, right? So we are calling the Seventh-day Adventists uh, a cult because that's what we want to believe. No, that's what we saw last time, a review, secular, and even the biblical example of a cult. Give it up for Bobby, the Christian in the house tonight. That's right. Uh, that's right. And it works. Woo, man. I'm, hey, I'm going to be talking about you in just a little bit. This is pretty funny. Uh, but anyway, that's right. Uh, no, we're, it's not our idea. It's a secular definition of what cults are and a biblical definition of what cults are. Either camp, saved, unsaved, the definition of cult. I'm sorry, these guys meet that match, unfortunately. And that's what we saw. How do you know you're involved in a cult? We saw they're the source of authority. You get outside the Bible, that's what's happening. Especially if the one person says, I'm the only one who can understand it. And you certainly have that with Seventh-day Adventists with Ellen G. White. The nature of God, including the Trinity, the person and work of Jesus Christ, the nature of man, and the big one, of course, they're all big, but the nature of salvation, how you get to heaven, right? It's only through Jesus. Well, that's what the Bible teaches. Cults, it's always works-based, typically, and uh, all kinds of other things that they veer off. Then we said, uh, basically, a heart check. Why are we doing this? Because we want to win that debate. That's really what it is. We're going to pound them in the ground. No, that's not why. Because we want to love them to Jesus. It's not about a debate. But we need to get equipped to understand where they're coming from, why they're wrong, and love them enough to tell them the truth and lead them to Jesus. But they are a cult. Now, we saw, where did that start? It started from one guy. His name was William Miller last time. That's kind of where we left off, okay? And the lesson tonight is this, right? In a nutshell, what you're going to see is this. Don't set a date. Now, I'm not talking about your wife. That's a good thing to do periodically, I hear. There was a marriage series we did one time. I think that was recommended. Okay, but no, I'm talking about a date for the return of Jesus Christ, okay? And what we're going to see tonight is all because one guy, once again, unfortunately, just like what's going on today, set a date, and then, man, he, he got it wrong, so then he, he set a second date, and he got it wrong, had to keep it going, he set a, a third date, he got that wrong. Now, to his credit, at least he admitted, okay, after three times, shouldn't have done it. All this exciting little thing that you cannot even read, but I like it, <laughs> is what we're going to talk about tonight. Because one guy said a day, we have all these spinoff groups, man, and other cults, all because one guy violated the scripture, okay? That's the lesson. Don't set a date. It leads people astray, and we're still dealing with this one guy breaking that biblical commandment, all right? Now, uh, let's, let's get into that a little bit uh, tonight. Now, we, if you were here last week, you saw what was the time frame this was going on, certainly in the 1830s to 1840s, and you had what was called the what? The second great what? Great awakening, okay? And that implies that, guess what? Mm, there was the first one, and there was, and we went in that great detail. The second great awakening, so there was great things going on. America, our country, was experiencing a genuine revival, not some of this phony stuff that you hear about, with people wiggling on the floor and doing all kinds of other stuff. Okay, but a real genuine revival, people really getting saved. I mean, whole towns getting saved. The Spirit of God was moving. And guess what happened? The devil's always in there, isn't he? And that's what he does. He raises up these pseudo-fake Christian groups. This is one of them, okay, and begin to uh, pollute, if you will, uh, 
the one way and certainly the good work that was going on. So that's the time frame that was going on. Now, the followers of this guy, William Miller, were known as the Millerites. Praise God. If you guys would have said the Johnsonites, I would have laid hands on you. So you're not listening, are you? But no, it's the Millerites, right? And, uh, and out of that came, of course, the Seventh-day Adventist. Now, again, we saw last time there was other, on top of what we're going to get into, Lord willing, tonight, there were other spinoff groups going on this, this time. During the Second Great Awakening, there was a whole bunch of uh, falsehoods that were going on. There was the Church of Christ that was going on. Mormons were going on at this time. <clears throat> Early Charismatics. I didn't even get to even touch that one, but it's okay because, Lord willing, we're going to have a whole section just on that in a couple times, because following this, we're going to deal with Lord willing Christian science, then Scientology, then we're going to get into that charismatic issue, okay? But that's what was going on this time. Great things were going on. A genuine, wonderful, godly, spiritual revival was going on. But out of that, here comes a whole bunch of falsehood, right? Same thing happened with the early church. Right after the early church, right, uh, was born, uh, Acts chapter 2, what do we see even in the New Testament, the letters that Paul is writing and others, what are they writing about? who had already, right after the birth of the church, crept into the church. False teachers, false prophets, leading people astray. Okay, same thing. When God does a great movement, unfortunately, uh, the enemy is right there. Now, William Miller, it passes on, of course, uh, to a bunch of other people, eventually Ellen G. White. But let's get into this William Miller guy. We only got to do a little teaser last night. But William Miller, he was born 1782. He died in 1849. Now, 1849, for those of you hooked on math, that was five years after he made his date predicting in 1844. That was the third one, actually. Okay, But he died shortly after he made this boo-boo okay, that we're still dealing with today. And, of course, it was all around this issue, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, And he should have just never have touched that with a 10-foot pole because we know when you start talking about prophecy, it's bad. It's Oh, prophecy is good for you, right? What's Revelation 1 say? Blessed, not torture. Blessed is he who reads, who hears, who takes the heart, the words contained within this book. Prophecy, the unveiling, apocalypsis, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. He's coming back. That's good news. Who wouldn't want to know about that, right? That's why the Bible says it's a triple blessing for you. Old Testament, New Testament, the first coming, the second coming, the millennial kingdom, the eternal state. Oh, prophecy is awesome. Makes up approximately one-third of the Bible, right? So here's what's sad. This is good. I'm glad he wanted to talk about the second coming of Christ. I'm glad he wanted to teach on prophecy. No, why did you have to do this? Come on. When the Bible says nobody knows, that means you <laughs> and me, anybody. You don't know why, 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 why. And it went downhill from there. Good thing we don't see anything that going on today. Yeah, still going on today can you believe that right now so and eventually out of this came uh the seventh day adventists so miller millerites but they went into the seventh day adventists we got to deal with that now what's interesting is later movements okay found inspiration in his false predictions right now again we saw last week he already admitted after three times getting it wrong and he shouldn't have done it in the first place that he was wrong okay but people wanted to keep it going and that's all this right here Okay, but there's also another group that said he did a good thing. Now, believe it or not, this is from the Baha'i faith. Remember that from our New Age study? We did 12 weeks on that, and I know you guys got it all memorized. Preachers can dream, right? No, the Baha'i faith, and the Baha'i faith, believe it or not, actually says William Miller that his prediction in 1844 was accurate. You're going to say, what? Yeah, they actually look back to him 
and say that he did a good thing. What they say is he just got the wrong person. It wasn't the second coming of Jesus Christ. It was the second coming of this entity called the Bob. Right? Not that Bob. A different Bob. Bob. Okay? Spelled differently too. B-A-B. Okay? But anyway, so let's just recap that just real quick because i got to take this little side detour here. The Baha'i faith, okay, obviously stems, if you recall, from, believe it or not, the Shiites in Islam. Okay? And uh, in uh, Persia, which is modern-day Iran today. Now, the Baha'i faith's earliest guy, what started this whole thing, was a guy named Sahid Ali Muhammad, who on May 23rd, 1844, that's why they love his date, Mr. Miller, right? Okay, declared that he was the Bob. Again, not that Bob. Okay, uh, which means, okay, in their language, the gate, right? Who, who also said that they were the gate? Jesus, of course. So he's basically supposed to be the Messiah. That's this Bob guy said he was the gate of the Messiah, which is what Bob means, all right? Now, Islam, as you know anything about Islam, we did eight weeks on Islam, okay? Uh, they take kindly to people saying that there's different ways other than Muhammad. No, they don't. So they hunted this guy down and uh, persecuted his followers and killed his followers. And eventually they killed the Bob guy, right? But before Bob died, okay, he spoke of a coming prophet referred to as he whom God will manifest, well, 1863, okay, almost 20 years later, this guy named Mizra Hussein Ali, one of Bob's followers, okay, he donned uh, the title Baha'u'llah, which means glory of God, right? So basically, the Bob was now viewed as the forerunner of this Baha'u'llah guy who claimed to fulfill the prophecy of Bob. Okay, oh, by the way, did you know, and I'm not making this up, do you know what the name of the followers of Bob were? The Bobbies. <laughs> He's running a Bob, Bob. Now, if you start following him out in the parking lot, I'm going to talk to you because this, that's getting a little freaky. Okay? A new cult's beginning here in Vegas. Right? But, <laughs> but even though I'm not making it up. All right, now, so this Baha'u'llah guy, guess what the name of his followers were? Baha'is. That's where we get the Baha'i faith, right? So basically, this Bob guy shows up, meaning the gate, right? And they kill him. Before he dies, he's about, there's going to come a guy after me, like a Messiah figure. So then... Here comes this other guy who says that he's the fulfillment of that Baha'u'llah, okay, and that's where you get that. But basically, uh, that's why they're hip on, believe it or not, of all people, even over there from that far, okay, William Miller's 1844, because that's when the Bob guy showed up, okay, that started the Baha'i faith. Now, the importance of the Baha'i faith is, as we saw before in our New Age study, is that is basically an inclusive. They say there's one God, but they say it's basically come one, come all, right? All... All different versions of the truth, different scriptures outside of Christianity, what they would consider holy books. And all, it's all that, all different paths. We can, we can all create this global religion. Do we see any signs of that? That's the mindset that's in New Age, but it's also the mindset, a core belief of the Baha'i faith, okay, that's ushering people to prepare the mindset for a one-world religion. Can't we all just get along? Okay? They also want a universal education, a universal language, uh, again, you could study different scriptures outside, even their own books. Uh, you cannot proselytize, no witnessing, right? And you see that with the ecumenical movement today, even with Rick Warren down south working with the Muslims, right? What's one thing that they said that we're not going to do? We're not going to proselytize. We're not. That's weird. Okay. They also deny the sufficiency of Christ, of our Bible, the scripture. They say, hey, tell me this doesn't sound familiar, the Baha'i faith, that Krishna, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, and not you, Bob, the other Bob, okay, uh, and Baha'u'llah were all manifestations of God. Doesn't that sound familiar? What do people say when you say about Jesus? Oh, yeah, he was a good teacher, but he's no different than 
Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius. Yeah, that's the Baha'i bleeding through, if you will. And they also teach that the latest of these manifestations would have the highest authority and it would be the most complete revelation of God. I wonder who that would be. Setting people up for the mindset to receive the Antichrist, right? So this belief system uh, on the scene in the last days, okay, um, is preparing people for that one world religion, worship the Antichrist, one world government. Let's all get along. Let's all merge and all start from that. But I just had to dovetail on that because that was kind of strange they they think even though miller came out and says man why did i do it i should have stopped the first time i shouldn't have even done it the first time he admits wrong but all these guys said nope we got to keep the show going and even of all entities the baha'i faith say he was right he just had the wrong entity it wasn't jesus christ it was bob Okay, but anyways, now, back to Miller, okay? I took my little uh, tour there. Uh, he was born in 1782 in Massachusetts, okay? His parents were Captain Miller, right? And he, who was a veteran of the American Revolutionary War. His mom's name was Paulina, and when he was four years old, they moved to Lowhampton, New York, right? 1803, he marries this lady named Lucy Smith, right? Lucy Smith, and he took up farming, and I quote, he took up farming and as soon as i highlighted that pastor tom i said if he only would have stopped there (laughs) just stick with the plow dude why 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 it it reminds me it reminds me of this right so i didn't know what his inspiration was well listen to this okay one day this farmer is out plowing in the field and he and he saw two clouds in the sky right two clouds and and he continued to look and he noticed that they formed the letters p c well, so the farmer, he thought about these, these letters for a while, and he concluded that that must be some kind of sign from God, that he was to preach Christ, PC, right? So the farmer determined that he would follow what he thought was the will of God. He sold his farm, he enrolled in Bible college, and upon graduating, he started to preach Christ. However, it soon became obvious to all that this was not his calling. His, his preaching was so terrible that after hearing him preach for a few minutes, most of the congregation would, would get up, shake their heads, and leave the building. I know how that feels. No. <laughs> anyway, so as you can guess, the ex-farmer now, he's disheartened, and he's, he's, telling, he's pouring out his heart to his friend. He's going, I can't understand it. I mean, the Lord showed me the letters in the sky, PC, and I thought, I thought he was telling me to preach Christ. I've done what the Lord told me to do, but, but things aren't working out. And his friend looks at him and says, well, maybe PC meant plant corn. <laughs> Why, 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 why? You should have just planted corn, would you? But no, no, no. You had to violate it, didn't you? And now here's the crop. A bunch of false teaching, false teachers, false prophets, and cults. Okay, because you violated this scripture, right? Anyway, so he was elected after farming, okay? Uh, he apparently skipped the corn thing, and he's elected to a bunch of different civil offices, okay? This is William Miller again. Uh, he, he got elected to office of constable. Uh, then he was elected as the deputy sheriff. Then he was uh, elected justice of the peace. Uh, then he served in the Vermont militia, and he was commissioned as a lieutenant in 1810. And, quote, he was reasonably well off owning a house, land, and at least two horses, two-car garage. This guy had it going, right? So shortly after the, uh, this move to uh, Pulteney, that's where he went from Lowhampton when he got married to his wife, right? He, listen, he rejected, so it's during this time he rejected his, quote, Baptist heritage and became a deist, right? 
Now, remember we saw last week what a deist was? Basically, amongst other false teachings, that there is a God, they say, but he is uninvolved in our affairs. He's just up there looking at us. He's kind of won't up the clock. They say, okay, you're on your own. And he's not involved. Well, that's a lie, right? Number one. But so he was, quote, raised in the church, a Baptist church, apparently Baptist heritage, and he rejected that. That, that. that never happens in the church today, does it? People growing up in the church today, and man, 100% of the time, they always come out Christians, born again. You know, I mean, going to a church, service don't save you, right? You've got to be born again. But you know, uh, people never turn away. And, I mean, and I always keep going back. I, I, I went, who, what was that church like? Did you never hear the gospel? How, how could you be raised and you still don't know Christ? And, and there's an element of responsibility. Everybody's responsible, right? Because you can do the right thing. And even as parents today, as Christians, we know, hey, they've still got their own choice to make. You do the best you can, but it's just, it's just sad. So he becomes this, this, and here's what he says contributed to him rejecting his quote-unquote Baptist heritage. Quote, they, the deist, put into my hands the works of Voltaire, David Hume, Thomas Paine, Ethan Allen, and other deist writers. So basically, what was it that influenced him to reject, quote-unquote, the Baptist heritage? Media. Media is not being used today at all to cause even our children who are raised in the church to reject Jesus Christ, is it? It's called sarcasmheavyduty. For those who wonder, yeah, excuse me, yeah, media, big time. Media what? Not just in books, media where? Media in the books in the secular educational system, turning kids away from God, right? Media uh, from the television, media from the movies, media from social media, media today, just like back then, is being used to get and target people who are raised in the church to get them to reject. Same thing, and it happened to him. Right? Now, at the outbreak of the 1812, War of 1812, Miller, so now he's a deist, he's rejected everything, right? He goes to Vermont, he's transferred to the 30th Infantry Regiment, and uh, he spent most of the war working as a recruiter, then he was promoted as captain. Now, so he's doing this recruiter thing during the war, but now he finally sees action, right? And he saw his first action at the Battle of Plattsburgh, right? Where, listen, vastly outnumbered American forces overcame the British, Right? So against all odds, we won. And here's what he wrote about that event. He says, the fort I was in was exposed to every shot. Bombs, rockets, shrapnel shells fell as thick as hailstones. And uh, uh, one of these many shots had exploded two feet from him, wounding uh, three of his men, killing another. But Miller survived without a scratch. So guess what? Hmm. Maybe God is involved in the affairs of men. That was the point where he began to now reject the deist view that there is a God, but he's not involved because he's saying that there's no way this is by chance. I mean, that's two feet from me. I didn't get a scratch. These three guys got injured. This guy got killed. I'm fine. There's got to be a God. And that's what he said. He later wrote, quote, it seemed to me that the supreme being must have watched over the interests of this country because he shouldn't even won that battle, period, right? And delivered us from the hands of our enemies. So surprising a result against such odds did seem to me the work of a mightier power than man, right? So that kind of steered him back in a better direction, away from deism. Okay, still not there yet. Okay, but he goes back home to Pulteney, 
right? He moves, uh, then he goes back to his hometown of Lowhampton, and he buys a farm there. Dude, just plant corn. Plant broccoli. I don't like broccoli. I hate broccoli, but just stick to broccoli. Do some, just stay. If you... No, he did start farming again, but he didn't keep farming. <clears throat> That's the lesson, right? right? But now that farm that he purchased is now a historic site operated by the Adventist Heritage Ministry. So that's the background on that one. So now this time he's getting deeper. He's kind of getting steered away from deism, right? But he's getting uh, deeply concerned about the question of death and afterlife. Why? You just went through a war. That kind of wakes you up and people died right in front of you, right? So he's starting to get concerned, right? It's one of those open windows. Plus he had his, I believe his dad and his sister died at this time. So he's got people dying all around him. He starts thinking about death. Here's where, again, instead of going to the scripture, I don't know if he just his own emotion or what, but because of that, he began to think about eternity, and he felt that there was only two options possible following death. Accountability, which means you're going to stand before God, be judged, right? Or annihilationism. Which route do you think he chose? And that's where this came from because it's a hard thing for people sometimes i think that's what we talked about in our study please don't go to hell right okay we dealt with that for two weeks on that just on that topic right not that long ago and we dealt with the reality that there is a hell but guess what people want to try to soften the harshness there is a hell and it lasts forever eternal life eternal punishment you can't get around it and it should scare you should freak you out right and it should also get away from any procrastination any apathy when it comes to witnessing to people because if they ain't saved by the time they take their last breath, they're going to hell forever. They don't poof, get annihilated. But I think people come up with a poof, they're annihilated because they say, I just can't pitch it. Hey, listen, whether you like it, lump it or not, what's the Bible say? God originally created hell for who? Not for people, for the devil and the demons. But if you want to rebel and reject God's free gift, and he didn't have to, then to hell you will go. You made your choice. Right. So, but anyway, so that's where the annihilation is, and it still bleeds in through today. Right. Uh, and then soon after he gets there, he starts to uh, show signs of going back. And again, the, the words that are used here, Baptist faith. So whether that's true conversion or not, I don't know. Right. Because we all know if you go to a Baptist church, you're saved automatically. That's all you do. You check off that box when you get up there in the pearly gates of Peter, right? What's the box? Where's that Baptist box? I'm in like Flint. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, no, there ain't got no Baptist box. For those of you wondering, okay. So I don't know, whatever, but it's, it keeps saying Baptist faith, whatever. So anyways, but at first, I will say this. It is recorded that he's supposedly now going back to the, quote, Baptist faith. But then in public, he's actually preaching both ways, right? He's still, at this time, espousing deism while, listen, simultaneously attending his local Baptist church. Hmm. So you mean to tell me that you can sometimes have people who go to church services who aren't even saved, and they're inside the church spilling out a bunch of false teaching? And they might even get into teach, uh, positions of teaching, and they're actually teaching people false teaching in the church. That, that never happens today. HeavyDutySarcasm.com. Remember the website, because we're going to it probably again shortly. Right? Excuse me, isn't that, wow, even back then, right? And if you're not careful, folks, it can happen again today. So he starts apparently leaning more towards, quote, Baptist faith, whatever in fullness that means. Uh, but following his conversion, Miller's deist friends, because he's, I don't know if he's trying to straddle the fence here or whatever, but they're saying, well, you better explain this, right? 
You know, what's going on here? So that's when he starts to get in. This is the good part. He gets into the Bible. You get into the Bible, what do you eventually get into? Old Testament, New Testament. One third of it deals with prophecy. So you get into prophecy. If you're going to study all the Bible, you're going to hit prophecy a lot. Why? Because it's in there a lot, right, is, is the point, right? So he gets into the Bible. He gets into Bible prophecy, but oh, wow. Dude, come on, man. Stick with the corn. Just, just, just plant corn, man. If you would have just planted corn. He got into the state thing, right? He got into prophecy, which is good. But it's just like people today. Studying prophecy is good. But once you violate scripture and you set a date and you got some knowledge that nobody else does because your calculator is bigger or whatever, you get this program. Then you give the rest of us who teach all the Bible, which includes prophecy because you're supposed to teach all the Bible. You give everything a bad name. And that's what he did. He got into the Bible. That's great. He got into prophecy. That's good because that shows you're getting into all the Bible. And you should study all the Bible. He got into the date setting. Now, his big date setting, because everybody typically has their verse, right? His was Daniel 8.14. Man, I'm trying to save this over here. Okay. Uh, Daniel 8.14. All right. What's the verse that people are using today? Revelation 12, right, is the big one that's coming past. But, but they, they got it wrong on September 23rd, right? And so they quit. No, what they do? Already, September 24th. Well, they quit. No. Then it went to the 30th. Well, they quit. No. <laughs> you just keep going, man. And they're still going, right? And, and actually, when you study that group of people, they're actually splintering off just like this. It's like, are we seeing, I said this last week, are we seeing a new cult literally being born before our very eyes? Or subcults? Same thing's going on today. This is so applicable. But his verse was Daniel 8, 14, and it says there, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Well, he took it that the cleansing of the sanctuary, that represents the earth, number one. Number two, he said that that cleansing was going to be Jesus coming back to purify the earth by fire, etc., blah, blah, blah. And so he took his calculations stating, uh, starting in 457 B.C., which is a whole debate whether that's even correct or not, uh, as the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, and that he revealed that according to his calculations, uh, that this period would end 1843. He left him some wiggly room there in 1844, somewhere in there. Right, is what was going on. And he records, quote, I was thus brought to the solemn conclusion that in about 25 years from that time, in 1818, all the affairs of our present state would be wound up. So he didn't keep it to himself. What's the word tonight? Corn. Dude. You should, if, if, hey, you could think that all you want. Could just go back there and plant some more corn. Right? No. No, he didn't do it. So he had to share it. And he did. You know what he shared it with? Media. Wow, what are these people who are sharing their dates today doing? What are they using? It's a say. I couldn't believe this. It's like history repeats itself. And what's, and what's the lesson? What's, what's the his, history lesson? Those who don't learn their history are doomed to repeat it. It's going on again today. And again, it didn't just stay with this guy. I haven't got to this yet. A massive amount of colds came out of this because one guy violated the scripture, right? So he goes and he starts submitting uh, articles, media of the day, right, to the Vermont Telegraph. Well, that starts going crazy. He starts getting all these floods of inquiry. Now, remember, what's the time frame? The Great 
revival that's going on in America. And people are high spiritual interest. People are getting saved. It's great stuff. And, and, and you want to know the Bible and, and, and Bible prophecy because that's one third of the Bible. And so he's coming out with this stuff. Oh. So he, he, this time was ripe, if you will. In 1834, by that time, two years later, he was unable to comply with the invitations to travel and preach that he received. There were just so many, come, we want to hear it, come, come. He, he just couldn't do it. So then he put together this 64-page tract that was titled, The Evidence from Scripture and History of the Second Coming of Christ about the year 1844. Notice the little room you got to work with there. Now, from 1840 on, Millerism was transformed in from an obscure, obscure regional movement into a national campaign. This went nuts. And there was only three people that fell for that September 23rd thing. And there's only three people who are still doing it. Man, this is so applicable, it's crazy. So Miller stated, my principles belief are that Jesus Christ will come again to this earth, cleanse, purify, and take possession of the same with all the saints between March 21st, 1843, and March 21st, uh, uh, 1844. So give yourself some wiggle room there. Well, guess what happened? March 24th, 1844, passed without incident. And so he held a meeting, says, guys, I repent. I'm sorry, I violated scripture. I'll never do this again. I'm going back to plant some. No, for, unfortunately, he didn't do that, okay? He kept the thing going. Uh, and for further discussion, uh, they, they said, oh, 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 wait a second, wait a second. We had the wrong calendar. <laughs> this is exactly what's going on today. I can't believe it. I kid you not. And so what they did, they came up with the new date because they used the wrong calendar, right? The new date was April 18th, 1844, because they were using the rabbinical calendar, and they, they drudged up this other calendar. It's called the uh, Karaite Jewish calendar. And I go, what in the world is that? Well, apparently that's a subsect of, of uh, Jewish guys in the ninth century who came up with their version of the calendar that disagreed with the rabbinical calendar. So basically, long story short, he drudges up this new calendar to do recalculations to keep the thing going, and that's when they came up with that next second date. Well, guess what happened? April 18th came and went, and nothing happened, right? And then, then, then no, 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 we still got, you know, 1844, we still got the year to go. So in August of 1844, at a camp meeting, again, what was a camp meeting? It's, it's basically what we would call like a, you ever go to a, a conference, uh, a church conference, a prophecy conference, uh, I speak at them a lot, and stuff, it's, that's, that's like a modern day version of a camp meeting. Right, where you have speakers come in and the gospel's given, hopefully. The gospel's given and you preach God's word and people get saved and all that stuff. Okay, so that's, so that's what's going on. So at a camp meeting in 1840, they said, oh, no, no, no. And they're still working with this second calendar, okay? And I don't even know how you pronounce it. K-A-R-A-I-T-E. I want to say karate, but I know it's not karate, okay? Uh, the karate Jewish calendar. No, hacha. No, but anyway, it's karate or whatever you say. <laughs> so he's still going on. They come up with this new one. Here it is. Here it is. On the 10th day of the 7th month of the present year, 1844, based on this Karaite Jewish calendar, the new date is, so this is round three, October 22nd, 1844. And so on October 22nd, 1844, what happened? You know what? It was such a big zero nothing that they even titled it. You know what they titled it? This is actually the historical, this is not their words, or my words, this is theirs. The Great... Disappointment. <laughs> yeah, watch this. Let's take a look at this. And Daniel had a vision, a vision from God. And he said, I was frightened and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, 
Understand, O oh son of man, your wisdom belongs to the end of time. In the mid-19th century, a Baptist preacher, William Miller, traveled the country preaching that the second coming of Christ was close at hand. Tens of thousands believed he was right. The pivotal text that William Miller centered his apocalyptic lectures on was Daniel 8.14, unto 2,300 days and then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Cleansed! And he thought the sanctuary was the earth and it would be cleansed by the fires of the second coming. Miller's followers determined the cleansing would come on a single date, October 22nd, 1844. One of those who came to hear Miller speak was a young woman, Ellen White. And at that time, Ellen White, my great-grandmother, and the whole family went to hear him. They were all impressed. Uh, they were impressed by his sincerity, his knowledge of the Bible, his understanding of prophecy, and his ability to explain things clearly and, and succinctly. Described by the Holy Scriptures, cleansing by fire. As October 22nd approached, true believers prepare to meet their God. Farmers abandoned their crops and livestock. Shop owners closed their businesses. Others simply threw away their money. And that night people gathered and waited to be united with their God. But the next morning, Ellen White and the others awoke to a world unchanged. She believed with her whole heart that Jesus was coming. She writes in her own writings, I went home and I cried all night. That was September 24th this year. But she went home, as she said, wrote in her diary that, uh, you know, I cried all night, and I repented. God, would you please forgive me for following and advocating a false teacher? I will never listen to anybody who ever sets a date again. Heavysarcasm.com. <laughs> no, no, no. And what you're going to see is they just had to keep it going. Even after three strikes, you're out. Right? And we're still dealing with it today. Now, after this failure, uh, Miller, here's what he said. He said, quote, Our fondest hopes and expectations were blasted. And, and such a spirit of weeping came over us as I've never experienced before. We wept and wept till dawn. And following this, listen, there were a lot of people, though, that said, That's it. I'm done. And they did leave. We ain't going to listen to no more date setters. Boy, did we get hosed that time. Should have listened to the scripture. Boy, I got... I got sucked into that, but I quit. I'm not doing that anymore. But some of them just, just had to keep the thing going. Okay. Now, again, he died five years later. Okay. But he had amassed such a crowd. Estimates were anywhere from 50,000 people to 500,000 people. And this is before TV, radio, all that stuff. So, and the population of America ain't nothing what it was today. So, I mean, he had a lot of people that got pulled into this just like what's going on today. And out of that came uh, you know, the Seventh-day Adventist church with Ellen G. White. She was there in the crowd, right? But again, 
Uh, he later admits, man, I blew it, whatever. He basically, okay, because in the next year we're going to see, right, that was uh, 1844. 1845, these guys that just didn't want to give it up to keep it going, they had a meeting, right? And, and to, to how we're going to keep this going, and this is where they come up with some of their strange doctrines to basically come up with an excuse for what was wrong in the first place, right? Like the investigative judgment and things of that nature. Okay, but he actually spent the rest of his life, okay, the remaining five years, trying to get these people back together, say, no, 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 dude, no, 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 and they just turned into this, okay, and he died, okay, but he gave birth to what's called Adventism, and of course, Adventism claims 22 million believers, Uh, the largest, of course, is the Seventh-day Adventist Church, 18 million makes up the bulk of that, but now let's get to that nifty, exciting map, you guys excited? Look at this. Isn't this neat? It looks important, but you can't read a word, can you? So let me explain it to you. So I know you too well. But basically, it all starts with this. Here's what we got to deal with today, because what? One guy violated scripture. Don't set a date. Well, he did it anyway, right? So that's Miller. Miller, and it gave rise to what's called the Adventist. The Adventist, of course, the Advent, second coming. That's where that term comes from, what it means, right? Nothing wrong with studying about the second coming of Jesus, but you don't know when he's coming back. Okay, and that gave rise to the Millerites, right? But the Millerites, basically, after their meeting, they all got together, it split off into three main sections, right? Now, the first section that split off after the great disappointment, right, was uh, the leaders were Edson Bates and White, James White, Ellen White's husband, and then she basically became the prophetess. Uh, Still to this day, they merge her words into their version of the Bible. We'll get to that later. And that's where you get Seventh-day Adventists, okay? But they have experienced a split. They followed another guy named Cranmer, and they're of the Seventh-day Church of God, right? Now, the second major split after that is met with a leader named Hines, okay? And if you want to get the first names and do your own research, I've got it up here. Whatever, but I'm just doing last names. I didn't want to, it's already small enough as it is. Okay, but anyway, so then they created what was called, no, 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 we're the first day Adventists or the Evangelical Adventist Church. Now, these guys really split, all right? They, first of all, they split with a guy named Cummings, and that created the Adventist Christians or the Advent Christian Church, right? Then they also split another time into two leaders called Walsh and Soares, and that's the Life and Advent Union. But Notice two entities at this time frame influenced a guy named Charles Taze Russell and his quote-unquote Bible students. Who's that? Jehovah's Witnesses. What's a doctrine, false doctrine, that Jehovah's Witnesses, we saw eight weeks, we just finished it up. What do they also believe in, wrongly? Jesus is the Archangel Michael, that's what Seventh-day Adventists teach, believe it or not. And annihilationism, that's another false teaching. Well, guess what? They influenced this guy who influenced a whole other thing over here called Jehovah's Witnesses, all because what? One guy violated scripture and set a day. Well, then they split again into another subcategory, the marsh, and then they turned into the age-to-come Adventists or the churches of God. Church of God, Herbert Armstrong, Worldwide Church of God. I'll get to that in just a second. That's where they came from. Well, that group there in and of itself split twice, okay, following a guy named Wilson, and that turned into the church of God of the Abrahamic faith, Okay, and then another guy, Thomas, and that's the uh, Christadelphians, if you heard of them. And I might get to that in just a little bit. Then a third one that split off, okay, was two leaders called Turner and Hale, and they're basically the spiritualizer Adventists. Well, that was more of a spiritual event that took place and things of that nature, more of a subcategory. But this was in 1845. It was called the Albany Conference. 61 delegates get together to determine the future course and meaning of the Millerite movement. Well, I'll tell you the future of it. 
Repent. You violate Scripture. Get back to the Bible. We're done. They wanted to keep it going. Right? They wanted to keep it going. Now, following this, of course, that's where you get the, the major ones today. Evangelical Adventists, the Life in Advent Union, Advent Christian Church, and, of course, the Seventh-day Advent Church. And again, Miller, he didn't join any of these groups and until he died, only five years later, he was trying to, no, dude, people come, no, come. Anyway, but he died. Now, let me deal with a couple of these uh, subcategories real quick. The first one is this, uh, Christadelphians, if you heard of that, once in a while, this will come up on the internet, or you might run into somebody say, I went to this group, and they call themselves the Christian. It was kind of weird. Are they Christian? No, because pretty much anything that you got in here, this is not Christian or Christianity, period. And it all started, why? Because one guy said a date. Okay, and again, what's going to happen if the Lord should tarry and we're still alive with this whole September 23rd issue that people just don't want to stop? Are we seeing the same thing happening? Right, but anyway, Christadelphians basically started by a guy named John Thomas. And uh, like the founders of Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and Christian scientists, he believed, quote, that he alone had found the truth of real Christianity. Isn't that what it is? Even today, I've got the real calculator. I've got the calculators. I have the knowledge of the scripture. I have the secret Hebrew that nobody knows with this special technique that only I can unveil. Same thing. That's a cult leader. That's a classic sign of a cult leader. So that's what he did, right? And I like this guy's comment. He says, one wonders how these men could, quote, study the Bible and come to the conclusion that God would leave humanity floundering in darkness and error and apostasy for 1,800 years only to reveal himself to these guys at that time, right? It's kind of the same premise that those who would say that uh, only the 1611 version of the KJV Bible is uh, God's word today because the premise of that basically is saying that you mean to tell me that the church had no copy of the scriptures for 1,600 years? I, that doesn't work. Don't have a problem with KJV? I think it's a great translation. That's not my point. My point is they take it to the point where they say there was nothing before and only until then. And it's the same thing. So, so, so nobody could know the truth of the scripture until this guy showed up on the scene or Miller showed up on the scene or any of these guys showed up on the scene. God left everybody hanging high and dry. What, what's going on there? They also teach the same two lies that every cult teaches. Okay, they deny the deity of Christ and so works-based salvation. They go even farther. They say that T Jesus had a sinful nature and he too needed salvation from sin. They say that he did not pre-exist and did not come into existence until he was born in uh, Bethlehem. Then they also teach, again, a works-based salvation. They got their list of things you got to do which is not the gospel, okay? They also teach that the uh, Holy Spirit is an impersonal force. Man does not have an immortal soul. Satan is not a personal being, but a synonym for the adversary. That sounds popular today, doesn't it? Okay, people deny the literal existence of Satan. They also believe in death is unconscience and annihilationism. There it is again. You're going to see a common thread with all these groups because guess what? Understand the founder? You understand a lot of this stuff. They still hold to that stuff uh, today. So that's those guys. Now, the other subgroup I want to deal with real quickly is the Church of God, right? Because the Church of God, I mean, it sounds church and it's God, so it's got to be Christian. No, right? And a subgroup of this is what's called the Worldwide Church of God, right? With uh, Herbert Armstrong. But let's deal with the Church of God first. Now, Church of God is uh, kind of more on your charismatic flavor. And again, I don't even have time to get it because this whole time all this is going down, Right? Remember, you got Mormons going on. You, you got, uh, 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 you got uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are, are starting to peel out over here. Right? 
you also got uh, with the Church of Christ going on. You also uh, have the, the whole charismatic, quote-unquote, movement. They want to say it started at Azusa. Mm-mm. It didn't start there, and that's a whole other issue. What was really going on at these so-called Azusa Street Revival? Is that really from God? Don't think so. But we'll get into that later. But you got all this stuff going on. But the Church of God is more of your little bit of a charismatic flavor, right? Uh, and they have a, a, a unique practice that they hold to. They say, like we say, that we have a couple ordinances that we need to do in remembrance of. What's that? Baptism and communion, the Lord's Supper, right? Well, they would add foot washing, right? That you also got to do foot washing as an ordinance, but it's not just something different. Uh, they also have, uh, they say that we can achieve sinless perfection in this world. And then it's a mandate. So you better do everything right, right? So if I see any of you guys looking grumpy at my teachings, and that's a bad spirit, and you ain't, you know, whatever. Talk about pressure, right? Okay, but they also ordain women as ministers, which goes along with the charismatic community. Uh, they also have heavy duty on speaking in tongues, but speaking in tongues is supposed to be the evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Excuse me, what does the Bible say? When do we receive the Holy Spirit of God? At the moment of uh, salvation. And does that have anything to do with speaking in tongues? No, not at all. Okay. In fact, they would go further and say, if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So you get a lot of things wrong there. Uh, the scripture certainly does talk about that. Tongues is basically languages. Acts chapter 2, when that gift went forth, when it occurred, Acts chapter 2, read the context, it's always in a known language. It was never gibberish like you see uh, today. Where you see gibberish is in the cult and the occult. Okay, uh, which is very concerning. And the scripture says that in, in no ways does it always occur. Okay, and also there's plenty of other conversions in the scripture, and nobody's speaking in tongues at all. So the whole thing's unbiblical. Again, we'll get into that Lord one later on the charismatic issue. They also teach. Okay, this is way back him. This is way back him. They also teach that uh, uh, Christ's atonement provides physical healing for everyone. Now, who does that sound like? charismatic root of what eventually came in to be the word of faith movement. That if you just have enough faith, you got perfect wealth and perfect health, right? And of course, the only ones getting rich is the guys you're sending the money to, okay, basically. Uh, but that's not true. Now, God can heal. I've seen him heal. I've experienced some of that myself personally, but it doesn't mean he always heals. And we don't even see that in the scripture, right? Paul, right, he experienced serious illness, but he didn't have enough faith. I, he didn't sow a seed to somebody's ministry. No, that's what was going on. No. Uh, also, his fellow worker Epaphroditus, the scripture clearly says he nearly worked himself to death. Philippians chapter 2. Paul's spiritual son, Timothy, he was often sick, and Paul did not say to him, quote, just increase your faith and you'll be healthy whenever you want. No, he said drink a little wine, a medicinal issue, right? Not just water, right? So what's going on there? So again, that's the church of God. Now, quickly, let's deal with the worldwide church of God, right? Or what's also known as Armstrongianism after Herbert W. Armstrong. Now, his teachings are at odds. One of the really weird ones out there that he teaches is what's called Anglo-Israelism. Listen to this. And this is the false teaching that he believes that the modern-day Jewish people, and this is funny, we're teaching on this right after we just had a whole prophecy conference this whole weekend on the focus on Israel. But he teaches that the modern-day Jews are not the true physical descendants of Israel. He believes that the lost tribes of Israel migrated to Western Europe and the present-day British and Americans are actually heirs to God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Wow. Okay. So in addition to that, he teaches a, a soul sleep. Again, another common theme that you're going to see this, annihilationism, soul sleep, and this whole group right behind me. Right? 
And uh, also, he believes that there's going to be three different resurrections. The first would be faithful Christians. The second would be the bulk of the population who would have a second chance to receive the gospel. What's Hebrews 9 say? Hebrews 9, 27. It's appointed man once to die, then face judgment. You ain't getting no second chance, right? But that's popular. Mormons do the same thing, right? Remember with their baptism of the dead? False teaching, right? They think you can get a second chance and they'll do it for you. Third, they say the third resurrection would be those that acted in such a way to be ineligible for the second chance uh, and the wicked, uh, those rejected. And the guess, guess what he teaches? Poof. Annihilationism. So common thread throughout this whole time frame. He also taught that, and here's where you have, in my opinion, a lot of the influence for another movement that's a false movement that's called the Hebrew Roots Movement, right? That's uh, going through the church again uh, today. The Hebrew Roots Movement basically says we got to keep the law. We got to keep the Old Testament, the festivals and things of that nature. Now, believe it or not, did you know these guys are actually mentioned in the scripture? Paul had a term for them, and Paul's term for them was Judaizers, right? Those that say, oh, yeah, it's Jesus, but you got to keep the Sabbath, but you got to do this, right? Paul had to deal with those right back in the early church. So this is what this guy also taught, even back as far as this time, which now we're dealing with today, that they're saying is the new work of God. It ain't new work. It's old false teaching. Just read the Bible. It's even back then, right? And he says that you had to keep the Sabbath, Saturday worship. He believed that you also have to keep the Old Testament festivals, the Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles must be celebrated, that we should follow the dietary laws. Who also teaches that? Seventh-day Adventist, right? Uh, also, you need to tithe, but up to 30% uh, is what he said. And again, of course, it's a works-based salvation. Okay. Now, again, that's just a couple of subgroups of all that. Now, one other subgroup I want to get to, and we'll close. Here's another group that came out of this, if you guys didn't realize this, and they are called, you might have seen them in the news, they're called the Branch David. Where'd those people come from? Seventh-day Adventism. Interesting. Hmm. Let's do the homework there as we close. Uh, they, all, they started out, though, as the Davidian Seventh-day Adventists, right? And uh, it was a small offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventist church, uh, 1929, founded by a guy named Victor Hutif, right? They split again, right, because they were Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Association, and they split off into the Branch Davidians. And that's where you get David Koresh. Now, let me, let me trace the trail on that one. Victor Hutif was a Seventh-day Adventist school teacher in Southern California. And he claimed that he had a new message for the entire church. What does that sound like? That's charismatic mindset. Again, that's the same group I can't even touch yet that's also going on during this whole time, as well as Mormonism, as well as Jehovah's Witnesses, as well as all these other things we're talking about. right? So, and again, when is all this taking place? Right when God is doing a major, mega, true, genuine revival in our country. And here comes Satan. Isn't that wild? All right, but anyway, Victor Hutep, and he comes out, he claims he's got a new message, and he presented that message to the entire church. God has chosen him, right? In a book called The Shepherd's Rod, 144,000, A Call for Reformation. Well, who in the world does that sound like? And Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Man, everything just all bleeds together when you understand the root, and it all started because what? One guy set a date. And what's going on today? Isn't this the weirdest, wildest time to get into this? I didn't pick the time frame of this. God did. Right? This is wild. But he's getting us equipped, isn't he? Right? So Hutef, he had his headquarters, guess where? Waco, Texas, right? And so he dies. His wife takes over, which again is the charismatic teaching that you can have like a 
female pastor and all that stuff, right? And she'll, she gets all her leaders, to, people together, and there's going to be some imminent apocalypse supposedly based on Ezekiel 9, the, the, a judgment on idolaters, and of course that comes and goes. And again, they're on common thread, date setting, date setting. Well, following that disappointment, uh, uh, she, uh, Benjamin Roden, he, he forms another group, and that's your Branch Davidian Seventh-day Adventist, and uh, he begins to take control, okay? And this is after the wife of Mr. Hutef uh, goes by the wayside. Well, Benjamin Roden, he died, and he was succeeded by his wife. So another lady takes over, the wife of this Roden guy. And then a power struggle ensued, because then uh, she uh, goes on, and she, well, before she goes on, she is having an affair with guess who? David Koresh. Now, that's not his original name. His real name is Vernon Howell. Why did he change his name? I'll get to that in a second. So he starts having an affair with this leader uh, this, from Seventh-day Adventist down to the Branch Davidians to all this stuff, right? And, and she, he starts getting into a power struggle with her son, George Roden, okay? And so they go back and forth and whatever, and, and Crush is kind of getting the momentum within the other guy, and they, they literally get into, the, they come and storm with guns and whatever. And so, of course, this is starting to attract the attention of the authorities, right? The ATF and all that stuff. Uh, and then uh, David Koresh uh, starts going uh, even deeper. Uh, uh, he, he gains control. Uh, he asserts, uh, this is when he changes his name from Vernon Hal to David Koresh. Why? Because he's trying to tie himself with the biblical king David, hence David, okay? And Cyrus the Great, Koresh in Hebrew, is the Hebrew word for Cyrus. So he wanted to be like King David, Koresh, Cyrus, Right? Right? Then he starts to take spiritual wives as young as age 12 because he wanted to create a new lineage of world rulers. And of course, there was allegations of child abuse, so he stir all that together, and guess what? Can we come talk to you? This is where the authorities you know, uh, get involved, right? Uh, and so sure enough, uh, February 28, uh, 1993, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms uh, tries to go in to do a search and things of that nature. The siege lasts for 51 days. Uh, ends up with the death of David Koresh, as well as 82 other Branch Davidian men, women, and children, and four ATF agents. Now, wow, what a debacle that was, right? And once again, set and date, the apocalypse, and all these people, and they're getting away from the scripture. and what, so, so these guys are done ever since. They're still going today. Just like all this other stuff started with this guy, and it's all branched off to this, this, and sub, 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 and blah, blah, blah. They're into a new, now they're called the branch, the Lord, our righteousness. They're still going after this. And they exist under the leadership of a guy named Charles Pace, a follower of Ben and Lewis Roden. So now it goes back to the other guy, because David Koresh is dead. So it goes back to this other guy, who was a follower of the other guy that lost out to David Koresh. And he said that Koresh twisted the Bible teachings, okay? And Pace feels that, quote, the Lord has anointed me and appointed me as leader. Here we go again. Going on today. And, uh, and, like the Branch Divinians under Koresh, the Branch, the Lord our righteousness, as they're now called, is awaiting for the end times. And I'm sitting here going, we should await the end times. I believe we're in the last days. The scripture says it's a good thing to long for his appearing. But all because, with all due respect, dude, could you have stuck with the corn with all due respect? You, you violated scripture. You just had to set the date, didn't you? And you didn't do it once, you did it twice. You didn't do it twice, you did it three times. Now, granted, to your credit, you tried to stop it, but it was too late. The floodgates opened. Now, for those of you wondering, that's the crone soundbite for apostasy. <laughs> Why? 
Did you skip over that part that nobody knows? What's going on? And we're still dealing with it today. And can I tell you something? It puts a rotten. And these guys are out there still to this day doing all this stuff. And it puts, you wonder why the world has such a sour taste in their mouth when we start talking about the return of Jesus. When you got this going. But two wrongs don't make a right. And we still need to understand the scripture. Just stick with this scripture and don't set a date. But they had to keep it going. And as we close, the one that we're going to focus on, that's all your subsections. But as we close, we're going to take a look at one more video and close out. The one that we're going to focus on is the Seventh-day Adventists. Okay, And their big cult leader was a woman, and her name was Ellen G. White. Okay, And she is considered a prophetess, and she is the only one that we can rightly understand the scriptures from. That's what they teach. Okay, but let's take a look at this. When Christ did not appear, Miller and his followers experienced what came to be known as the Great Disappointment. After this disappointment, many of the thousands who had joined the Second Advent Awakening left it in deep disillusionment. However, others realizing that it was human error and the interpretation and still trusting in the Bible went back to re-examine this prophecy more closely to uncover where they had gone wrong. After much prayer and further study, they confirmed the year 1844 was correct. However, the event had been misunderstood. They found that this date did not foretell the return of Christ, but instead described the judgment in heaven. It marked Christ's ministry typified by the priest's annual entry into the most holy place in the earthly sanctuary. After coming to understand this, their faith was renewed. From this group who refused to give up after the great disappointment, arose several leaders who built the foundation that would become the Seventh-day Adventist Church. This small group of Adventists began to grow in North America, mainly in the Northeast, where Miller's movement had also begun. Ellen White, who was just a teenager during the Great Disappointment, later became a renowned author, speaker, and church leader. Until her death in 1915, she was a trusted spiritual counselor of the Adventist family. Even today, her many writings serve as valuable reference materials to aid in the study of the Bible. From the time of the Great Disappointment, this Adventist group found new momentum and continued to grow rapidly. Because of this growth and a need to organize, they met in Battle Creek, Michigan in 1860 and chose to identify themselves by the name Seventh-day Adventist. In 1863, these Seventh-day Adventists officially organized as a church with a membership of around 3,500, all in North America. However, by 1900, the church had spread to many parts of the world with a membership of more than 75,000. Then, by the mid-1960s, it had grown to more than 1.5 million. Today, because of its members' passion to share their faith in Christ and extend a helping hand to others in His name, the Adventist Church has become one of the fastest-growing Christian movements on earth, with a current membership approaching 25 million and an ever-rising average growth rate of 3,000 members per day. Since the 1840s, Adventist believers have continued to share the three angels' messages sounding the call to abandon non-biblical practices and return to the worship of the true God of creation. Except that sounds great, but what they don't tell you is their version of the, and I'll just give you a little tease and we're going to close, their version of the, quote, true worship of the one true God and turning away from unbiblical stuff, 
Their version is this. They deny the immortality of the soul. They, they deny the eternality of hell. They say, listen, our sins, I'm not making this up, our sins will ultimately be placed on Satan. Jesus is the Michael, the archangel. Worship must be done on Saturday the Sabbath. On October 22nd, 1944, they say Jesus entered the second and last phase of his atoning work. Excuse me, it was completed on the cross, right? But that's their excuse to come up with that wrong date setting. They had to keep it going. They teach a false teaching called investigative judgment that the fate of all people would decide it based on this event in the future where God is looking down on you to see how you live, which is a works-based salvation. They say the dead do not exist. They teach soul sleep. The wicked are annihilated and quote Ellen G. White, the founder of Seventh-day Adventism, is a messenger from God gifted with the spirit of prophecy. Really? Well, I guess we'll have to take a look at that one next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. 
He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him, 
to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.